What would happen if we give everyone an invitation to the table, believing everybody has something to bring and every generation some wisdom to share? What would happen if the passionate people of God became known for building bridges, making connections where there were once divides? What would happen if the love of God sparks a movement, transforming our own lives, our relationships, our communities? Let's find out together. Welcome to Bridged, a podcast about connection. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Bridge Podcast. My name is Lindsay. I'm guest hosting today um, in place of our beloved Stacy. Um, so I'm here with my two friends, Jason Smith, who is our lead pastor of Direction, and Keith Bernie, who is our NOTA campus pastor. Guys, thanks so much for being here with me today for this conversation. Um, so we're going to take some time today and expand on some of the topics that, Jason, you introduced in this Sunday's message in our Trade Up series. You talked about racism, you talked about injustice, you talked about power um, through the framework of the biography of Mark, which is what we've kind of been working through. Um, so I really would like to start off um, by unpacking the recent news stories that have impacted our country the past few weeks and really why this has been moved to um, the front and center of conversation. Um, so would love to just kind of get personal and get vulnerable right off the bat. Um, I would love to hear your responses, um, each one of you, emotions, thoughts, conversations, after the reading the story of Ahmaud Arbery. Um, so what was that like for you guys? Yeah, I'll jump in. Um, you know, I just really had emotions all over the place, uh, to be honest with you. Um, it, it's even hard now to try to fully articulate what it was like because I feel like I'm still wrestling with some of those emotions Um, but everything from just anger um, anger over what happened uh, anger over the fact that it was recorded um, anger over the fact that it happened in February um, just uh, just really just upset and and angry to be honest Um, there's also just disbelief um, and not disbelief as in this is surprising and I can't believe this happened. This is unfortunately not the first and unfortunately my guess won't be the last. But, but just a disbelief and the fact that it feels as of late, there's almost like an uptick in, in the amount of times we see and hear things just like this. Mm. And you would think as, as you would think in 2020, we would see the opposite. We would see the trend to be, begin to go down, but it, at least it feels for me to be, to be going up. And I just struggled with that. Um, just a disbelief almost in the boldness, right? To, to, to record, to, to follow, to, to be in trucks with guns as if you're hunting on a safari or hunting for deer and to record like just the boldness to do that um it's just hard for me to understand um you know just a lot of conversations obviously with my wife and just some family members around it um but you know i I think also my my emotions my first thoughts is is that could be me and and i don't just simply say that because i'm an african-american man um i say it one because i'm an african-american man but two I, i also enjoy running um, I also enjoy running in neighborhoods. Uh, part of running outdoor for me is, is a, a different, you know, scenery, different things to look at. Like I'll run on a treadmill if I have to, but I prefer to be outside. And honestly, it, it's not uncommon for me to drive to a neighborhood I don't live in uh, just because I don't want to run on the same streets I run in all the time. And, and I appreciate architecture, I appreciate landscaping. And so it's enjoyable for me to see different parts of this beautiful city and to enjoy them while I'm going for a run. And so when, when I see this story, it, it hits close to home for a variety of reasons. And it's, it's just heartbreaking. And again, I'm, I'm all over the place a little bit because that's just where my heart has been as we see things like this. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for me, I think uh, some of the same emotions, but it, but from a different vantage point. There was, uh, you know, disgust, literally feeling kind of sick watching it. Just, I can't, I, you know what's about to happen. And the first time I saw that video, and, and you can't believe this is actually going to happen this way. Um, you know, we've got an interesting uh, viewpoint, I, I think at least, and, and we're not unique in this, but 
you know, part of our family is biracial. And so there's a close to home part of this that you just feel differently. And, and, and I would say, though, out of all of those emotions, and this is really um, why I think this conversation is, is so helpful. The thing that I felt the most was unsure what to do next. It was ashamed. It was, I can't believe, I, I don't really know what to say. And even that makes me angry. Like, I'm sorry doesn't seem to fit right now but I'm not sure what else does at this moment. Um, and to your point, Keith, about, you know, here we are 2020. I was listening to some friends on another podcast the other day or another uh, call. And um, one of the, the guys they were talking to is he's in his late sixties and um, his name's Dr. Sam Huddleston. And he said, Hey, you know, my, I remember the stories that my grandparents told of this kind of stuff happening. And I sat watching this video and thought of my grandkids and thought that there's a span of over a hundred years represented in my family that I can see. And I can't believe we're still seeing the same thing. That just was yeah. so powerful to me yeah. to say, yeah. I know we may not know what to say, but we are no longer going to just be quiet. We have to do something. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's where I feel um, overwhelmed or I feel stuck. Because for me, my response, I'm a high justice, high empathy, and I feel the anger. And I always go to like an existential uh, place where I'm like, why this world is broken and how do we fix it? We can't fix it. And so I just, I get stuck because it just keeps repeating itself. And I know that's not the right response, but sometimes I, I, I numb and I'm not quite sure what to do. You know, is, is conversation enough? That doesn't feel like it's enough. Like, um, but it keeps, it keeps repeating itself. And so... Um, and that, I think that's where I, I go, where I feel anger. I feel, um, all of those emotions, but then I'm like, what, what do I do with it? I don't, I don't know what to do with it. Um, so I think that's frustrating, but it's, we've got to move to action, I think. So yeah. that's why I get stuck. Um, but I want to move, um, kind of to this idea, Jason, that you talked about, um, this positioning for power that's ingrained in each one of us as human beings. So we want to be great. This idea of greatness consumes us. Uh, where do you see that playing out, um, you know, in your own life or in the world? What's an example of this? Yeah. Well, and I think that for me, that's the reason why this weekend, this past weekend, in following the text that we've been studying, uh, this just kind of popped up. It's like, yeah, I may not know what to say, but this, the, the scripture right here speaks to it. It just speaks to it from an angle that you don't commonly take. The idea that, that ultimately the desire for greatness, power, position is at the root of, of what's happening here. Um, and, and I think if we're all honest, even if you're not a competitive person, you know, like, which I don't understand that because I'm a very competitive person. <laughs> so I know there are people who are not. Yeah. And, and even if you're not, there is still this innate desire to be and to have control, even if it's just control over your own life. Um, you know, I mentioned in the sermon, that was, that's what's going on with Eve at the beginning and Adam is this like, well, that's great. I'm glad I get to be with you, but I want to be you. And it didn't take, you know, five minutes until somebody's trying to take God's throne. Um, for me, I mean, it's played out in some way. And this is what's tricky throughout my life, whether it's a, a academics or athletic career or jobs, you know, I mean, before, uh, becoming a pastor, I, I worked in several different fields where it was like sales. And so there's a competition factor in that, um, even if you're competing with yourself. And there was always this thing that drove and it's a sometimes it's a good drive. Like it gives you the energy, the motivation to do your best. And that's great. But what you if you reflect on it, you begin to sense under the surface is this is not just about me doing my best. This is about me beating you. And you. And, you know, it can easily go there. Uh, so that's been true in so many years of my life. And it still is today. Of, um, you have to just constantly repent of, and that we'll get to that later, but step away from that desire to grab and hold power. Yeah, yeah I think it's interesting. You know, Jason, I'm too competitive. Uh, but to Jason's point, not everyone is. 
but our society is set up that way. So even if you wouldn't say, hey, I'm a competitive person, like our, our schools are set up, depending on, on where you graduate in your class, has an impact on, on scholarships and what college you might get in. Uh, depending on, on how you're performing at work has an impact on promotions. And so like our society by design in a lot of ways has this competitive nature to it. And, and it's not just in school, it's not just in sports, it's not just in work, but I, I think we see power struggle also in relationships, right? Like, I, I think we've all been in our scene, people struggling, are, are disagreeing, arguing, and it's a bit of a power struggle. Uh, are, are people saying, hey, I'm, I'm getting out of this relationship, or I'm not even going to pursue this relationship because I'm concerned about, about who would have the most power? Mm-hmm. I think what's interesting when you really kind of dig behind this desire for power there's a, a fear component um i think jason was just speaking to this it's yeah. if i don't have power then then you do what does that mean and if you have power how might you use it what, what does that mean for me and so there's a fear also attached to power is hey i've got to have because i don't want you to have it. what's what is that fear would you look at yeah. a person or yeah, I, I think I think part of it is the fear of the unknown, right? I, I think part of it is also looking at the brokenness of this world and seeing examples of, of injustice and saying, I'm going to be a victim of this unless I have this, yeah. right? There, there, there's no hope outside of owning and holding on to power. Yeah. My, my only way to secure something is if I have all the power. Yeah. And I, that's a big motivator. Yeah. And I, this maybe just my personality, but I have a fear of being wrong. Um, that tells you my Enneagram type one, <laughs> but I just like, I have a fear of being wrong and I am hard on myself, you know, all that stuff, but I can see how that plays out in a power struggle. Of like, I don't want to be wrong. I'm right. So you have to be wrong, you know? And so as you're talking, I'm like, wow, that's a lot of clarity. Um, I don't need approval. I'm competitive because I want to be right, you know, and I want to come out on top in, in big and small. And so I can see how that plays out subtly in my thought life and all that stuff, um, power struggle, all that. It is, um, it's sinful, but it, it's like, um, it can be good, but when it comes to shadow side, right? Um, so I want to talk about how we move. So we're talking about this, this grasp for power, right? This fear, but then it moves. You talked about this, Jason, it moves to hatred and dehumanization. And then ultimately it moves to murder. Like we've seen in the past couple of weeks. How does this kind of progression happen? Well, I, th- I think that is the reason that it's so important. Sorry about that. We'll get technology figured out. Who's calling? <laughs> um, yeah, God's calling to give me the answer here. <laughs> um, I think I think part of the um, part of the reason that that this it still can shock us is it seems like such a far leap from like, I want to be the best or I want to be in charge to I'm willing to kill. Yeah. When you begin to slowly walk that through, it, it starts to make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and a lot of it is what Keith just brought up. It's this yes. idea of fear. If, okay. So if I have power, then that, that not only lets me make the decisions, but it keeps me from being uh, at risk for what you might do to me. And you can look at every, I mean, almost every place in the world, um, this has played itself out. The go-to example that is Rwanda, you know, right? And dehumanization is a big part of this. In fact, um, you know, there it, it was one of the tribes that, and I can't remember which way it goes, but Hutus and Tutsis, one decided when they came into power, it's like, well, we'll call the other one cockroaches. Um, and you say that enough, and pretty soon you start to believe, oh yeah, there's not actually human. Now, you, if the first time you told somebody that they would go, I mean, not really like, that's just a label. That's just like hyperbole. Right. But you hear that for a generation or, you know, or years. And suddenly you start to believe it. Same thing happened with Nazis and Jews. I remember being struck when I was in college, I read this book, a set of books called mouse M A M A U S. And it was about the, uh, the way that the Nazis did this to dehumanize the Jews. And in the book, they were these illustrated things, um, almost like comics. And, and all of the Nazis were, were represented as cats, but all of the, uh, the Jews in the book were mice. Mm-hmm. And then all of the Polish people in the book were pigs and all, and they had all these different animals. 
But what you saw is it even it built in this inherent structure of power. And I was like, okay, that happened. Then you look at in the history in our country, even, you know, with Native Americans. I mean, I, I watched Spirit, the Disney movie with my kids again. You know, we've watched all the Disney movies a whole lot. <laughs> and you're watching Spirit and there's this one time in there where, um, where the guy who's like the leader of the cavalry that's kind of moving westward to get the, tr the tracks laid down for the rail system. And he talks about the, the Cherokees that are there. And he's talking about, you know, just like horse can break them. You can begin to do this kind of discipline and make them go without food and water. And pretty soon you'll have broken their will and they can be easily subdued. Mm -hmm. Well, that kind of stuff is always happening in the background, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's where every step we have to try to root out where we see their evidences. Yeah. Of this power graph. Yeah. That's good. What about you, Keith? Yeah. Um, you know, as, as I think about it, I, I can't help but to think about the, the sin factor in all of this. And I think sin is almost like alcohol in the sense that it can dull our senses. Sin has this way of, of in the same way alcohol can, can kind of lower our inhibitions, sin can kind of deteriorate that as well. Um, uh, alcohol can kind of blur vision if there's too much of that. I think sin can do that. And so... I think part of the progression is when we have unchecked sin in our lives, it begins to dull our senses and sensitivity to, hey, this, this is wrong. Um, and not only that, when, when sin is unchecked and it's shared by a group of people, not only does it go from this is no longer wrong to, wait, maybe this is the right thing. Yeah. Hey, if, if you think this and I think this, and then this is natural, this, this must be right. And so yeah. I think sin unchecked, allows us to see this progression yeah. uh, and, and Jason he, he spoke to this a, a bit on Sunday but when we see the progression of sin even in scripture from Adam and Eve to Cain and Abel like we, we see how quickly right like Eve Adam eat the forbidden fruit you would think progression from there would be a few lies maybe some stealing a little gossip but we see within that next generation their murder between Cain and Abel. And yeah. so like, that's just the power, how destructive sin is, um, especially when it goes unchecked. Yeah. Can I say one more thing about that, Lindsay? Yeah, fascinating. Yeah, and I think also the reason it's important to recognize that progression from like, um, from power grab to fear, to dehumanization, to hatred, to murder is because um, the only, I think this is why the dehumanization part is so important. Because we believe, we know deep down that all humans are made in the image of God. And if you've listened, you've heard a lot of people say that phrase recently. And I, um, it's disturbing to me that we even say it because it almost feels condescending. Like, well, of course, all humans are made in the image of God. But the only way, Keith, to your point, that you can go to the, to the extreme measure of taking someone's life is you have to stop believing that you have to dull your sense to believe they're not actually human or they're not yeah. the same as, you know, it, it's otherwise, I think as people made in the image of God, it's very difficult to make that leap. Now, of course there are moments of, you know, passion that, that turns into violence and all that. But, but I think in a systematic way, it requires that. Yeah. I, and we probably will get there in the conversation, but how do you stop this progression? Like, how are you? And cause I feel like we may not be even aware of it in our own souls. Right. And so how do you, how do you stop from moving from this? Like, um, you know, grasp for power to dehumanization. Cause I, right now I'm like, Oh, I would never do that. But involved in a society, like how do I keep myself from being different? I don't know if that makes sense, but how do we keep ourselves from, from sliding down this slope? Is there I know it's not an easy answer, but how do we keep ourselves from doing that? I think part of it's got to be that, you know, what we talked about this weekend, there is a daily yeah. act of repentance yeah. of the of viewing yeah. overly clear eyed where you yeah. still have this and, and choosing to turn away from it. Yeah. Um, and when it gets, when you get confronted with something, this is why moments like these are so important. When, yeah. when a situation like this happens and we have the opportunity to either look away and stay in that dull, apathetic place, or say, as hard as it is, I'm going to do self-examination. You did a great job with this, Lindsay, even beginning the service, talking about you've been looking inward and outward. 
We have to take that as followers of Jesus. We have to take that time to say, I'm looking in right now. Yes. Because I don't know what's been growing in the dark. Yep. 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 And we have to be willing to sit in that. It's painful, you know, but it's worth it. It, You have to do that for your soul and for the sake of the souls of people around you. Um, well, let's dive into the scripture that you talked about, Mark 9 and 10, um, and whether it's a comfort or not, but the disciples are doing the same thing, where they're trying to jockey for position and power, and some of Jesus' closest friends are asking, who is going to be the greatest? Can I sit? Who's sitting on the right and the left? Why do you think they're asking this? You know, why do you think they so willfully miss the point? I mean, they're walking with Jesus. Why do you think that is? Yeah, it's interesting, you know, when you look at both the passages in both both Mark 9 and 10, like Jesus is talking directly to them, hey, the Son of Man is about to be handed over to be killed, like, obviously, like, clearly important conversation, but they're then talking about other things. It's like the meeting after the meeting, right? And they're not talking about the most important things, right? They're talking about placement, and, and as I look at it, like, I wonder how much attention were they paying? I wonder how much, even as Jesus was speaking, were they kind of, and we've all been in this quarantine, everyone's been on a Zoom call where you've lost focus, right? Like, I wonder how much attention to Jesus they were giving in the moment, or were they thinking about themselves? Were they thinking about their desires? Were they thinking about what was next? Were they thinking about power? Because it, it's hard to go from what Jesus was saying to what they were talking about. And I think that's why they were even a little shy when he asked them, hey, what are you guys arguing about? They didn't want to answer yeah. because they, they knew it was wrong. But I don't know how much attention they were paying. And yeah. honestly, I, I think this is even a warning for us. Yeah. right? I, I think we can find ourselves in a similar place where, like, how much attention are, are we truly giving Jesus? Like, how, how much are we engaged? How much are, are we following him? Or are we, like James and John, going to ask him just to do for us, to, to follow us? Um, and so I think they missed the point because I'm not sure how much attention they were paying to him. That's good. Really good. What about you, Jason? Yeah, I mean, I think you heard a lot of my thoughts about this weekend. Although I, I do, I, I don't know if I was able to pull it out enough in, in the sermon, but it just it really struck deeply with me to imagine the fact of, like I said, this is the only time in scripture where James and John are not with Peter. And it was so, they may have not been paying attention. And then when they finally did realize what was happening, man, the craftiness, the scheming to be, to go like, all right, drop him. We got to get this now because if we don't take care of this, we, we're going to be out. I mean, you see it happen. Um, and they got their mom and I mean, any good Jewish mom going to bat for their kids, you know, <laughs> like she's, she's going in there, like trying to speak. I mean, it's just, it's amazing to me how self-focused and how much self-preservation plays into even, I mean, let's just be honest, even having the conversation that we're having right now and that we all had to kind of have this weekend, there is a part of all of us that at the very beginning wants to buck, it'd be like, wait, not, not me. Yes. Hold on. What's my defense right now? You know, we all have that as a go-to. Yeah. yeah. But then that's part of why. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, And you talked through um, three action steps um, in your message that I really want us to unpack and spend some time in um, because it's, it's good to talk about this, but what are we going to do past the conversation? Um, And you got these from the book uh, from Jamar Tisby, the color of compromise, which I'm reading now. And it is so good. It's very challenging. Um, But he said his, his three points are awareness, relationship and commitment, right? Um, So I'd love to talk through each one of these um, piece at a time so we can really unpack what it means to practically move forward um, in this conversation. Um, So the first is awareness. Um, What you said is is educating yourself first, which I love this because I think sometimes it's easy to rely on the work of someone else. Um, So, hey, Keith, what do you think? But it's like, am I actually doing the work myself to learn about this issue and the injustice in the country? Um, And someone said that to me once about um, another topic or controversy. I was like, what do you think? as one of my pastors, and he was like, you have got to do the research yourself, and then we can have a conversation, um, which actually proved to be a really, really valuable thing for me. So um, what are some good resources you both would recommend? I know you mentioned a few on, um, on Sunday, Jason, but didn't know if you had any more, and Keith would love to hear yours. 
Yeah. I, so I mentioned um, Jamar Tisby's work is just yeah. great. I mean, and you can, you can find it on, you can go online and just do a search for him and see him speaking at Wheaton College and at all kinds of different places around the country. Um, and it's just, he's really, really good. Uh, so his book, Color of Compromise, one of the books that I think is that I'm in the middle of, but it's been so good. And that's by Dr. Tony Evans that I mentioned, The Oneness Embrace, because he gives the history even within the church. And I think that's important for those of us who are church people. I know not everybody listening to this is, but for those who are, you got to understand, you need to know, especially if you're a leader, how this, uh, the race issue has played itself out in the church. And so Divided by Faith by Emerson Smith is the other one. But Separate from that, um, the lady who spoke at my graduation from seminary, uh, Brenda Salter McNeil, Dr. McNeil, she's at a church out in Seattle. She has a book called Roadmap to Reconciliation that's really good. Um, Daniel Hill has a book called White Awake, White Awake. And then, um, and then this one I'm going to push, but I, I think it's legit. It's Robin D'Angelo and it's called White Fragility. And that's a part of the, uh, what I think when I feel uncertain about how to speak, like we mentioned earlier in one of these moments, I also think... Uh, my friends or people of color have this where they also are like, well, we, we're trying to be a little cautious too because there's this white fragility thing going on that I don't know how far I can push. Yeah, and yeah. that's just, that's hard to look in the mirror at, but we have to. Yeah. Um, before I answer, Keith, Jason, could you define white fragility? Like how would you define that, um, that phrase? Yeah. I think it is the, um, the psycho-emotional tendency for uh, someone who's in, uh, who, who is white, to start that defense mechanism of uh, when, you know, when something is brought to the attention, it's like, but that's not me. Yes. But I didn't do that. But don't, why do I need to feel guilty for something that I wasn't part of? Mm-hmm. Um, it's this, I don't, and, and I mean, you know, this has happened in our country in the last few years, especially, but like the worst thing that could happen is somebody is like, you're a racist. And like, how do you defend that once someone says it? It's almost impossible. But there's this side of, um, of white culture that is, that almost wants to say, if I accept any responsibility in this, then I've got to take all the responsibility. I'm not going to do that. So we yeah. try to avoid it. Yeah. And, and I think, Rather than us, again, it's self-preservation, rather than that being our go-to, our knee-jerk reaction, I think what Jesus would call us to is not to falsely accept stuff that's not ours, but look, I have benefited, even if I am not a person, and I know this is going to irritate some people who are watching, but if I have not actually been a part of this system that created privilege for me, I have certainly benefited from it. And I need to be willing to admit that and to see it and then to say, okay, now what do I do with that? I mean, and that's what we'll get to later some, but, but that's what Jesus's medicine is. Okay. You've got it. Now, how are you going to leverage it instead of being so fragile uh, that, that you have to just try to set up barriers? So I don't know if that's a good answer, but that's the way I understand it. Well, yeah. Thanks for unpacking that. I appreciate it. Um, Keith, any resources or. Yeah. Yeah. A few that come to mind. Um, there's a book by Dr. Eric Mason, uh, who was a pastor and author up in the Philadelphia area called Woke Church. Uh, and it's a book written specifically to followers of Jesus. Uh, and it's a real call to confront racism and injustice. Um, topics range from everything from awareness to action. Uh, and that's just a really good job, of, I think, of uh, unpacking it and speaking clearly to it. Um, so that's one that I would recommend. Uh, the other resource um, is the book, but it's, it's also much more than that. Um, it's a gathering called Be the Bridge. Um, and it is designed um, to have diverse gatherings of people to talk through um, with a guidebook, um, have real conversation around what's happening in regards to racial reconciliation and justice. Um, and I think the benefit of that, which I think we'll get to in a moment, is to hear firsthand, to, to, to be able to ask questions, to interact, to engage. Uh, I've, was, I've been part of a Be The Bridge group, um, and it was a complete one. And so those are two um, that you can go online and not only find resources, but with Be The Bridge, you can find a gathering that you can potentially be a part of or even lead. Um, and some of those topics would be the bridge, um, talks about what it means to, to ally well, 
um, talks about biases, um, talks about education, history, uh, racial injustice. So really does a good job of getting a full picture of what we're talking about. That's really cool. Um, I'll share a few of mine. Um, I'm Still Here by Austin Channing Brown was a phenomenal read. Um, it's very challenging, but help me see that there's another perspective and there's another story that people are living besides my own lens. Um, Homegoing, which is fiction, but it tells a story of a, of a family in Ghana in like 1600s all the way through to their arrival in America through like 2019. That was unbelievably hard to read, but very, um, very good. So that's fiction. Because um, I work with teenagers, um, I there's a book called Ghost Boys, which I would recommend for middle school and high schoolers. Um, that is a great read um, about a young African-American boy is killed by a police officer, um, and he comes back and befriends the police officer's um, daughter. That is really good. Um, and then to plug family ministry, we are doing a lot of research um, to come together, come up with a list of resources on our family ministry page. Um, so parents can learn how to engage in this conversation with the, with their kids. Um, and then the 1619 Project, um, I have a history degree. So history is like the way, I have a very storyteller mindset. Um, so the 1619 Project is a New York Times. Um, they did a research project. Um, and it tells the story of um, when, when slaves came over to the United States for the first time in 1619. And the, we just have learned one history. And there's more than one story. Um, so... Those are a few of mine that it really expanded my view. Um, so I would say start somewhere. People who are listening, just start anywhere. Pick up one of these books, start reading it, invite a friend to read it with you, um, ask questions. It's okay if you sound dumb. <laughs> ask a question, pick up a book and read it. Listen to a podcast. There's a ton of resources out there. We've, we've really barely scraped the surface. Um, okay, the next one. Uh, would you add anything, Jason? Sorry. Okay, and I think just speaking, um on behalf of some of some of my friends that would would ask this because it's yeah. hard to them. like before you just rely on ask your black friend or ask your brown friend or whatever like uh Tisby says this he's like hey google it <laughs> yep and, yep. Uh, yep that's good that's good well that kind of moves us to relationships that's the second piece um, so how can we begin to build bridges with people of other races, statuses, abilities, just anyone who's different from you has a different perspective. Um, and I think it talks about listening, which Keith, I was not a part of Be The Bridge, but um, maybe you can correct me, but Be The Bridge, they say, if you join the group, you can't speak or comment for three months or something like that. Yeah, I don't remember all the details, but it was very formatted in a sense okay. because they wanted to create space for listening. Yes. Um, but I, I don't remember the exact details. Yeah, I, I've heard that from people that they really, like your posture when you enter into the dialogue is listening, which I love. I think we should do more of that. Um, but I want to unpack why is listening so important, particularly in this conversation, and how can we begin to listen to other people's experiences that are different from our own? Um, and, and Keith, I'd love to start with you. Um, sure. What is it like for you when uh, two white people want to ask about this experience? Um, what's that like? What's that feel like? Yeah, I think it, it can go one of two ways. Um, if I'm in relationship with you, if we've, um, we've got a relationship, there's a trust, there's a care, um, we've got a foundation, um, then it, it can be very fruitful both ways. It can be fruitful for me to share my experience, but also fruitful for me to hear the wrestling with, to, to be asked questions. Um, it can be a real win, I think, for both sides. Um, but when there is no relationship, um, it can be really off-putting in, in the sense of, kind of to the point you said earlier, hey, I, I, I'm struggling with this. Okay, give me all the answers. Um, one, if it were that simple, we would not still be having these issues. Like yeah. just because I'm a person of color does not mean I have all the issues and I have the, the fix it uh, in regards to racial injustice and, and things that we're seeing with like Ahmaud Arbery. Um, but it's also, hey, I don't, I don't wanna do the work of this, right? Like, hey, this is on my radar now. Give me the cliff notes on this so I can continue to go about my day. And so um, I think a key part is relationship. And that, that was even part of your question. Like, how do we develop these relationships? And I think we have to be intentional about this. Yeah. Like, I, I think we kind of grow up kind of subconsciously, like our, our first friends are the kids in our neighborhood. And so they're right there in proximity. Yeah. 
Uh, then our, our, our next friends are the kids who are in our class. Those become our friends. Mm-hmm. Then they become the people that we go to college, our roommates, then it becomes our coworkers. And, and so we, we don't really develop this skill set of going out and being intentional about relationships. We simply settle for what's nearby. And I think we have to be intentional about our relationships. And I understand that there's a potential awkwardness around that. But like at a certain point, I think we have to be okay and willing to to be awkward. I think we have to be okay to potentially stumble in hopes of, of, of being a part of the change. And I don't mean to go and find the first person of color that you see and ask to go get matching tattoos and like to be roommates. Like I, I'm not saying that, but being intentional about just developing those relationships. You know, maybe obviously when we get past all the, the social distancing and we're back to, to somewhat normal life, maybe instead of going to the YMCA you normally go to, maybe go to one in a different part of town and, and see what might happen. Maybe I'm going to take a class over at this Y instead of that one and just see what proximity might open the door to. Uh, my, my last thing on this is I think with the most important relationships in our lives, we tend to be really prayerful about them. We, we tend to pray for our future spouses and asking God to lead us to the right person uh, for us to spend our lives with. We, uh, we see a neighbor put a for sale sign up. We may pray about our next neighbors that they might not be like the last ones. We, we may pray, uh, uh, hey, I feel like I need a mentor. God, would you bring this kind of person into my life? I think the same needs to be true for our friendship. I think we need to pray for them in the same way we pray for our spouse, we pray for our neighbors, we pray for our mentors, and ask God in his wisdom and his goodness and his plan to bring those people around um, that we can learn and also hopefully be a blessing to as well. Yeah, that's good. Um, Can I, Jason, I want to hear what you have to say, but can I unpack a little bit more of some of the tension I feel a little bit here? Um, so from my experience, I'm a middle-class white woman born in the United States. There are times I feel unsure of what to say, to start the conversation with people in my circles, that people that I have relationship with. So I, and to the, to back to what I was saying about getting wrong, getting something wrong. Will I say something wrong? Am I actually going to be able to help? And there's sometimes the fear that I'm going to offend. I'm going to cause more harm or I feel shame and ignorance that I'm only talking about race when there's something, something happens in the news. So like, what can I say or do? Um, and maybe you answered it, but this is like the tension I personally feel, um, that will open the door without me sounding like I'm only talking about this now, you know what I mean? And so that's some of my tension I wrestle with. What do I say? Um, you know, and so sometimes I'm silent, which I'm like, that's not the answer either. Yeah. Yeah. You know, my, my, my thought on it is, is approach it with a humility and a care. Um, very similar, let's say um, you want a better understanding of, of, of bone cancer, right? And you've got a friend who lost a loved one two years ago mm-hmm. in regards to bone cancer. You would approach that person with the humility and with the care. Yeah. You would check in first. You would say, hey, I I, I imagine this experience is different for you than it is for me. Um, if you're available, can we talk? Like you would really just kind of um, gently come in and check and have that conversation. And I would say do the same here. Hey, hey, you know, my assumption this experience was different for you than it was for me. And I'm committed to fighting this. And, and part of a step for me, I'm not just depending on you, but a step for me is to listen and to learn and, and I think I just it would be a great value for me yeah. to hear and spend some time with you. Is that something you're available? Mm-hmm. And I understand if now's not a good time, if never's a good time, but I, I you understand what I'm saying? I think yeah, there's a gentleness good. and a care yeah, that good. allows that conversation to yeah. happen. That's good. Does it feel empty when I say like, hey, I'm with you. I'm walking this road with you. I can't I can only be with you so much, you know? And so that's just yeah. some of the tension of like the the words, um, which I just have to trust that the spirit within me, if I'm listening and being in tune and paying attention, that I can't, yeah. I can't say anything wrong. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. You, you know, I, I don't know that there's a perfect like recipe of all the right words because everyone's different. Right. And what may trigger me may not the other person. I would say just speak with integrity. Yeah. Um, if you are fighting this, if you are with, if you are uh, whatever, 
and again, you don't want to say as a, as a commercial, hey, I'm this great person. Yeah. But if, if you want to communicate, hey, this, this, you know, this destroys my heart, you know, and, and I want to be a part of the change. I think yeah. it's okay to, to, to share that. But that also goes back to the previous point that they're like without relationship, mm-hmm. that's really difficult. Yep. When, when, when you have relationship, you don't have to come in with all those disclaimers. But, yeah. Hey, I, I, I know you, Lindsay, let's talk. But when you don't have that, then there's a need for more of that. Yeah, that's good. Thank you. That's good. What would you add, Jason? Uh, not much, because that yeah. was... <laughs> Seriously. Just, what a great metaphor, too, on the, a person who has a good diagnosis like that. That helps mm-hmm. life in a new way. I would say, you know, you demonstrated this. Like, we had a conversation last week, and we've been friends for years now. Mm-hmm. Um, and over time, you know, we've developed some of that trust. It didn't happen the first month or two. But, I mean, if, uh, maybe you remember this. It was meaningful to me. It's, it's that night when I called you and said, hey, I want to talk through some things and see how you're doing. And then also, like, and I said, I, you, I was really, like, gingerly walking at first because I was unsure. Like, I'm going to say this and I don't want to offend him. And you just really gave so much grace. And you were like, hey, I, you can say it the way you need to say it. I trust your heart because I know you because we've built a relationship over time. So, and like, that was some, that was so much grace to me and freedom to me um, to be able to say like, yeah, now let's just talk honestly as, as brother friends. Yeah, for sure. Man, I'm so grateful for that. And, and uh, I think for so many of us, you know, our world, this is back to the reason why listening is important. Um, our worlds have never been more prone to become echo chambers for one way they are now. And we know this. We, you know, what was the last year that stuff came out about, you know, your social media and the algorithm that puts in front of you just, you know, things that only reinforce a position. If you don't intentionally keep the word you used, if we don't make an action and intentionality to do different, you will not hear different more than ever in your life. And that's crazy because we have more access to information than ever, but it's all designed to keep us, to put us in lanes and keep us there. Mm-hmm. And so you've got to break out of those. Yeah, that's good. And what I hear you guys describing is it's a long game, right? It's like, it's relationship. And so it's not immediately, we're going to, I meet you. I'm going to meet you. Let's talk about this. It's a, it, which building bridges is a long game, right? And so I think yeah. sometimes I can get impatient. Um, but I love that word. Um, okay. And the last step is commitment. And so that we are going to commit not to just talk about this for two weeks when it's in the news, but we are going to keep this at the forefront. We're going to commit to living this out. Um, so how do we prevent this conversation from falling back into the background until the next time a tragedy happens? Yeah. You know, um, Obviously, when it comes to, to this exact tragedy we're talking about, um, for, for me, it's, it's not an option, right? Like, for, for me, it, it just resonates so deeply um, that it, it has become part of life. And, and I shared this even with Jason last week when we were talking. Part of my heartache around what happened, um, the killing of Ahmaud Arbery, is that it feels normal. It, it, it's been normalized. Um, but there are other things um, there are other things that are heartbreaking um, that don't uh, directly impact me that the way that this does. And what's been helpful for me to not just let things fall to the side is if I keep them a part of my time with me and the Lord. Mm-hmm. If, if it's a regular part of my prayer life, it's a regular part of my communication and engagement with him, it, it has this way of also popping up into the other parts of my life. And so there's not this, I don't have to set a reminder, hey, you need to care about this this week. Right. Um, I think we've all had this experience. Uh, you're, you're reading a passage or something in scripture. Then later that day, you have an exact conversation with somebody. You're able to talk about it. Like, I just noticed that things are, are important in, in my relationship with the Lord seem to naturally flow into the other parts of my life. And, but it's not so much the systematic approach or how do I do this? It's, Hey, if, if I'm taking this to the Lord, if I'm interceding, if I'm, if I'm petitioning, if I'm wrestling with, if I'm doing, if I'm reading, if I'm doing all these things, it'll naturally flow and be a part of who I am um, as, as God designed. That's good. That's good. 
Yeah, anything, Jason? Um, yeah, I mean, I think advocacy, just finding those places where you can put effort into, you know, more than just the words. Um, I think you have to, part of our education of ourselves too, says, you know, looking at everything from, um, you know, how, how we have relationships, but also how do the, the laws and the things that are made, how do they affect people right now? And now run that through this filter um, and, and say, am I okay with that? Am I, am I okay with, you know, the status quo has been one way. Am I all right with allowing that to continue to move forward now that I see, or now that I know how this impacts yeah. a group of people or just a person that I love. Um, and I think it's also just finding this issue in scripture being dealt with in scripture, uh, from these different kind of angles, a friend of mine who runs a large organization in the city in Charlotte texted me this weekend and just said, um, you know, what, what we talked about this weekend are the red letter scriptures. Like this is Jesus way of saying, speaking directly to this issue right now. And you have to keep, um, doing that. You know, it's what, what right now is more Christ-like what right now would be more on the heart of God than dealing with an issue of injustice that has seemed to plague. And as many have called it America's original sin and it's most, uh, besetting sin. Yeah. What would be more like him than to work through and push towards ripping that out? Yeah, that's good. And Jason, on Sunday, you talked a lot about repentance. Um, so can you talk through, um, a little bit about your definition or the biblical understanding of repentance and why is this relevant in a conversation that we're having right now? Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, you know, there, there are two definitions that I think we have, um, bought often and, and both of, neither of them are untrue. They're just not full. One is that repentance means saying, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, right. It's more than that. The other is, is, is equally as limited, and that is that repentance just means stop doing it. And I don't think that goes far enough either. I think this is what the, the Bible clearly teaches. The, the word in the New Testament uh, is metanoia, which means a changing of the mind, but not just like changing the way you think. It, it means the kind of change of a mind that leads to different behavior, different action. In the Old Testament, uh, in the Hebrew scripture, it has more of this idea of turning, whatever, what you're facing. You know, and so you put all that together and you recognize that repentance is this robust way of confronting my patterns of thought, of acknowledging where those patterns don't line up with what God who designed the universe and is all about justice and love, where he would say I'm supposed to direct those. And then not only acknowledging where they're off, saying a choosing to allow him and what he says about it to be now the way that I think about it fill it up with that, that probably leads to a moment of grief, mm. of sadness over where I've been off, over where, you know, my actions, that's, that's where lament comes in. And then to say, now I'm going to physically um, turn away from those things, but begin to walk in the direction of the, the good, the opposite of that. I mean, it's every idol has to be replaced with the love of something stronger than that idol, mm -hmm. right? You can't just crash and break it and say, I'm done with that, but leave that vacuum there. Mm -hmm. And so it can't, it's not enough to simply stop doing the bad. It's now replace it with a love of the good. And by that, by bad and good, I mean, you know, how God would view it. So repentance is this. And, and that's, so now like I'm unpacking that for myself last week and then, yeah. you know, for us on the weekend and I'm like, Oh wait, this is the way, this is what following Jesus is. Mm. That's it. It following him just means a life of repentance mm. of constantly checking, yeah. dusting and moving. Mm -hmm. So there, there's where our, why, uh, if we do this well, yeah. um, we won't stay with mere words. We'll begin to put into practice action that leads to change. Yeah. So you're saying repentance should lead to grief and it's essential to grieve or lament in order to move forward. Right. And like as, as simple as, as it is, that's what you're saying. Yeah. Because it's too easy to say, I know, hmm. not say I will. Yeah. The emotion of grief or the emotion of recognition of my brokenness that has the confession, that is the fuel that lets me go from, I know this is right to now I will do something different. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Keith, what about you? 
Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's really well, well said. Um, I, I think getting in the practice of, of putting pride down and repenting and turning and with, with God's help um, it is so key here. Yeah, I think Jason said it really, really well. That's good. I want to unpack the word lament, which you just said a, a second ago. I think it's an underused word, um, but can you tell us what it means to lament, um, either one of you? Um, I, I think the, the idea of lament, um, I agree, it's underused. It, it's interesting, you know, in the psalm, which was kind of the prayer book and the song book, um, the number of psalms that are psalms of lament, which means an out loud addressing to God the brokenness you see and the pain that you feel. Um, so it's acknowledgement and it's a cry. I, I did a, a little talk about this a couple of weeks ago that, um, and I can't remember who said it now, but like humans are born crying. Mm. Cry, crying is, is a part of what it means to be human. Yeah. Lament is a part of what it means to be Christian. Because lament takes the crying and it says the reason for my emotional pain, the reason for my grief is because this is not the way you would have it, God. And that breaks my heart. So when I do that, I'm bringing to him. And in a way, this is what's so powerful about lament. I think, Lindsay, to your point, Mm -hmm. in a way, it's taking God at his word to say, you care more about this justice even than I do. You care. So I'm bringing it back to you to remind you, like, do something. And do it in me first, yes. and and then let me work with you to do so. But it's the it's the visible acknowledgement of this is not supposed to stay this way. Is that how you would describe it? Yeah, I. Um, oh, sorry, Keith. I don't want to. Uh, yeah, I I would say lament and seasons of my life has sent has centered me. Um, I am a I'm a deep feeler, high justice. Um, but lament is this is putting words I think to grief. And I never knew how holy or sacred or spiritual it was, um, but it really gave uh, gave voice to pain and it gave um, identity to God as Emmanuel. And he's not distant or apathetic. He's right there. Um, and so it became really a spiritual discipline and spiritual practice that I do on a regular basis is this lamenting. And I, you know, I can get stuck, right? I can get stuck in how um, experiences and um, in my anger and pain, but lament it, to what you're saying, this is like kind of putting words to some of my experience, but it moves me forward. Um, and because I'm able to name it, I'm able to cry out. And, and I think lament can be journaling. It can be um, silence. It can be um, angry word. I mean, it can look, I think in a lot of different ways, but for me, I have learned the art of lament and it has been uh, really a game changer for, for my faith and my soul. So yeah. Anyway, keep, would you add anything? Yeah, yeah. I think lamenting sometimes um, we we want to kind of push it off. There's sometimes that can be uncomfortable, and it's like I I, I almost want to stop myself from getting there. This may be a poor illustration, but it's like being sick. Like I do not want to throw up. Like anything mm-hmm. I can do to not throw up. But we all have experience. Once you do, you begin to feel better. I think lamenting can be similar where once I just cry out to the Lord, once I, I cry out and release mm-hmm. and I begin to pray, uh, w- once I lament, even like Jesus did, like I think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, how he was just on his knees crying out to the Father. Like, I think there's something powerful in it as we release and cry out in, in a way similar fashion uh, to we even see Jesus. That's good. And let me add something to that too, because I think for those of us trying to figure out in a, in a multi-ethnic mm-hmm. culture and wanting to live a life that is that, or in a multi-ethnic church, like we are, you know, a part of, and we're wanting to continue to build lament also provides the space for all of us to be at the same place, no matter what your ethnicity is. There are certain yeah. things you said earlier. I, I can't totally understand where, where you are, Keith, in this. But what we can both find unity in is our crying out to God, believing that he hears and cares. And we can do that from wherever we're starting from. So it provides a context of unity too. That's good. For sure. Well, as we wrap up this conversation, which has been so fruitful, uh, one final question to kind of propel us forward. Um, Jason, you have this quote in your message that says, we don't have a have to problem. We have a want to problem. Um, can you unpack this um, and tell us how can we, as followers of Christ, be different? Um, and how do we move to wanting to? 
Yeah, that's good. And so let me um, do one thing. Actually, the way that you said it is really great. The quote itself, because and I mentioned that it's from you. Uh, <laughs> it's, we don't have a how to problem. Oh, there you go. Okay. But I would say your statement is just as true. Okay. Not whether or not we have to do this. I think Jesus is explicit that as followers, yes, we have yeah. to do this. Yeah. But the problem is, it's not it's not that we don't have enough tools. Yep. Yep. It, we have the will to put them into practice. And I and when I say that, I mean here's what I mean is it's look we've already felt this on this this uh, podcast. It's uncomfortable. It requires an emotional energy. It requires intentionally choosing to do it. We know that it's going to irritate some people. Mm-hmm. You know, my friend Jonathan Scott said this to me the other day. I've never heard it before. It's so good. I hope he uses it soon in a scripture. He says, allow the scripture to be an irritant mm-hmm. to people. Mm-hmm. I like that. That's what it actually is, right? Yeah. Um, in so many ways. Uh, it, this is hard. So it's not how do we do it? It's are you and I willing to tomorrow do this again? Because somebody is going to go like, gosh, can we talk about something else? And you're like, sure, but not, but, but not in place of this, you know? Um, and I think of it so much to me, this is a love issue. Mm. This really is all about love. And uh, the want to piece, this is, this is the same kind of example as um, in a relationship you know, uh, say a married one or a dating one or something like that. Like you can say, I love you as often as you want in as many ways as you want until you show it. It's not really love. And, and how to show love mm-hmm. is never your issue. Yeah. I mean, you're never sitting there going like, I just don't know how to make them know that I love them. Yes, you do. Mm-hmm. Your issue is you don't want to go do the dishes without them be asking you. Your issue is you don't want to put your agenda aside for a little while so that they can have what they need. It's not how there are a thousand ways to to do how it's will, will I, will you? And and I'm saying this as much to myself as to anybody. Yeah. That's convicting. Yeah. 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 It's good, Jason. Um, You know, I I think two things come to mind. Um, One is kind of a simple one. Uh, Very similar to earlier. Jason's like, just Google it. Um, but if you recognize, hey, there's a want to issue in my heart, just ask the Lord to transform your heart. Like, I think there's just power in praying and saying, God, would you transform my heart in this area? Um, and I agree as far as the second thought that this is a very much a love thing. Uh, and, and Jesus makes it clear, a new command I give you to love one another as I have loved you. Uh, Paul in Romans 12 speaks to it. Um, he says to, to love one another with a brotherly affection, to outdo one another and show honor. Uh, I think as we live out our faith, as we live out our faith according to Jesus himself, according to the scriptures, it will compel us and draw us closer uh, to, to, to being a people, to being different than, than this standard, to being different as followers of Jesus as we engage this work that's hard, that's difficult. Uh, but so necessary. Thank you. Well, thank you guys for demonstrating that, for diving into this work and this conversation that is uncomfortable and it's hard, but it's good and it's holy. And I think pastors go first, right? You know, and so thank you for paving the way um, for us and for our listeners to have a conversation and to continue this good work. Um, Keith, would you um, mind closing us in prayer before we off? Sure, sure. So, Father, we um, are grateful. Uh, We're grateful to be uh, united uh, via technology, Lord, but I'm just more grateful for my brother and my sister to be united in you, um, that we seek you, that we follow you, um, and you are calling us, Jesus, into difficult um, yet important work. And I pray that your spirit, um, that the Holy Spirit, which guides, which empowers Uh, which counsels, uh, would lead us, would lead our church, would lead your people to step into work that I believe is near and dear to your heart. Would you um, help us become more aware in areas where we lack awareness? Would you help us to develop uh, the kind of relationships that will allow us to have an impact in this area? And would you even help us with the commitment part? Father, there are... um, Many distractions, 
There are many issues. There's a lot going on, especially now to say the least. Um, but at the heart of this, um, this is a gospel issue. And as people who have been entrusted with the gospel, who have been entrusted with your good news, um, we are asking you to be with us, to go before us, to lead us, to go behind us, as we faithfully, with your help, try to live out our faith, as we try to love one another in a way that you loved us, as we try to love one another with a brotherly affection, as we try to love one another and outdo one another by showing honor, would you hold our hands as we do so? We love you. We pray all this in the precious and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you all for listening and for joining us this week. Um, we'll be back next week.